Good evening, and thank you for joining the sixth episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air. This program is devoted to promoting conversations about diversity and inclusion in veterinary medicine. On tonight's program, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Stacy Pritt, president of the Women's Veterinary Leadership Development Initiative. She co-founded this group with nine other veterinary leaders in 2013. The initiative seeks to support women in achieving leadership, policy, and decision-making positions within all areas of professional veterinary activity. Dr. Pritt is not new to gender and diversity work. She was very active during her time as a veterinary student at Washington State University, having worked in a, on a variety of different kinds of projects. Um, she also served on the Commission for the Status of Women while, while in vet school. During her fourth year, she was named one of the 50 campus-wide student ambassadors for diversity. She served on numerous positions across organized veterinary medicine. She is a lab animal veterinarian, a chartered diplomat of the American College of Animal Welfare, and she is a certified IACUC administrator. She is one busy veterinarian, so we are really excited that she has uh, taken some time to spend with us this evening. Dr. Pritt currently resides just outside of Dallas, Texas, and works as the director of the IACUC program at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center where she lives with her husband, who is also in biomedical research, um, and, and they share a home with two cats and a geriatric chinchilla. Um, so I'll have to ask a bit more, like how old does a chinchilla have to be to be considered geriatric? Oh, you're asking? Yeah. <laughs> Chinchillas have a maximal lifespan of about 20 years. Oh, wow. We obtained our chinchilla in 1998. So he is at least 18 years old, and he was an adult when we got him. So he would be geriatric. Wow. I had no idea that, that they lived that long. So thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Um, so tonight we are going to talk about women um, in the veterinary profession, and, and specifically women in leadership. So uh, I believe in 2007, the uh, Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association published an article um, basically saying that it was the year of the woman. And uh, at that point, women were to make up 50% or over just over 50% of the veterinary profession. Um, but we haven't seen women really ascend to leadership positions um, since that time. So why do you think this is the case? I don't think veterinary medicine is, is that much different than what we see in business in today's society. There's actually quite a bit of research data in the social science and business literature about how women have become the majority in the workforce or women um, will become predominant in lower or even middle, senior, middle management positions, but they will not ascend to the top tier a few women will, therefore they break the, the glass ceiling, but it's still, the men still are overrepresented in those top tiers. When I, I entered veterinary school in 1993 and I graduated in 97, my class was 60% female and that's just about 20 years ago. And so that switch hasn't occurred. And so there's not anything out there that says just because women have become predominant, the predominant gender in the veterinary workforce to mean that they will ascend to those higher tiered leadership levels. 
I do believe that there's a lot of different factors for this. Some people have talked about a lack of role models, especially in the veterinary colleges, perhaps even in some of our veterinary associations. Uh, people talk about the increased, the role that women play in, in the home, taking on a, a lot of responsibilities. And that's true throughout society. I also think that a lot of the roles, especially in veterinary leadership, have been, have been created over time with the idea of a stay-at-home spouse. And when that paradigm is changing and women become predominant in the profession, but leadership positions don't, aren't created for a different gender, I think uh, it, it creates a difficulty in, in some arenas. Sure, sure. So we have seen in academic veterinary medicine, probably in the last 15 years, certainly more women stepping into leadership positions. Um, and I think that in part, this is um, the timing has, has been right, not simply just for those individual women, but also um, because those women are at periods in their career, kind of 20 to 30 years out past their um, graduation point where they would probably naturally ascend to some of those um, leadership positions when we look at kind of that larger uh, uh, leadership development uh, curve, right, for women. So, but what, now that we have a number of women deans, um, both certainly in the U.S. and abroad, what type of impact do you think that that has on on the colleges and and uh, the education that you know new veterinarians are getting? Well, I do in visiting some of the veterinary schools. What I have seen, especially actually from female deans, is awareness of how the female students may seek out different leadership roles. Uh, roles that are leadership, but hadn't trad traditionally been thought of as leadership. Instead of elected positions, they're more volunteer positions. And so I have seen that awareness that um, female deans have brought to, to some of their schools. I also think there's an element of um, seeing a role model. I think that's wonderful. But I think there also needs to be an awareness, and we we're seeing it in society, have been um, actually, you know, Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, um, I think was somewhat of a, a catapult for this, a recognition in society that women will seek leadership positions differently or not at all for, for a variety of reasons. And recognizing those gender differences in veterinary school and looking how we can take into account these gender differences, but still make every veterinarian a leader. Sure. Great. So what are the benefits of having more women in leadership positions, um, both kind of in academia, but in that larger um, organized veterinary medicine? Well, we are the majority gender in the profession. So when you have women in leadership positions, say within a veterinary association, they're going to have, a, they're going to, they're going to know about the majority of their members, assuming that the majority of the members are female, which tends to be true for a lot of associations. They're going to understand um, how women think, how women work, some of the unique challenges that women have in this field, that women have in today's workplace. And I think they can work to make those associations better fit the needs for those, those members, uh, for the women members, and 
many times younger millennials as well. So uh, both of us have been doing diversity work for a pretty long time. Um, and one of the things that I often hear, um, particularly with respect to the gender piece is, well, um, you know, there are now this, as of this year, 80% women um, enrolled in the U.S. and they're graduating and they'll just take over if they just kind of bide their time <laughs> and wait for our, um, wait for the men to air quote die off, right? So, um, you know, what do you think about this kind of, what is, how do you react to those types of um, really kind of pushback to um, helping women advance into leadership positions? So there's a few different things. One, when you look at the student AVMA leadership, and I know several SAVMA, SCAVMA leaders, the leadership, um, especially if you take one example, the student AVMA House of Delegates, that actually does not reflect the gender makeup of veterinary schools. It's not 80-20, it's more like 50-50. So even when you look within student groups, the student leadership does not mirror the gender makeup within the classes. Um, and I've talked to several past SAVMA presidents about that, and that, that has been very, very true. So that's one point. Um, another point is that going back to a question I answered um, earlier, the data shows that just because you have a majority female work workforce, that does not mean that women organically or naturally progress into those leadership positions, which leads into the third point that women are perceived differently in leadership and management roles. Women seek and perform differently in leadership and management roles. And so unless we've looked at how we're attracting women into leadership, how we foster their growth as a leader, how we accept differences in leadership, um, it, it still remains difficult uh, for women to move into those positions. Now, one can argue whether those differences are inherent into being male or female, or if they're, some, they're, or if they're societal constructs. Um, but the fact is, is that there are these perceptions, biases, if you will, um, with men and women in leadership positions. And um, when we as a society, as a profession, start dealing with that, we become stronger and we, be, we unlock a leadership potential in, in everyone. Um, could you talk a little bit more about, uh, I guess, those perceived differences and how women lead differently? So these are perceptions, biases. A lot of this was written in a book, uh, 2007, called Through the Labyrinth, that was very much... Um, it was very data-driven as a book um, from social science or business you know, research. Uh, some of it was repeated, um, maybe a little bit more realistic or within the business world by Sheryl Sandberg in her 2013, 2013 book, Lean In. And there's been other books in that we have certain perceptions, and this is somewhat specific for the United States. We have perceptions of what a male leader should be. We have perceptions of what a female leader should be. And when, when women do not live up to those perceptions, um, it, it kind of backfires against them. People get a little concerned. Well, you know, wait a minute, you're, you're not acting like a woman should. Now, um, men also um, have their perceptions, biases for what men should be. If they don't live up to those, generally they don't deal with as much, um, um, it's called a cognitive dissonance 
they generally don't deal with that much backlash or, or questioning um, in general. It can happen, but not as much as women. And this is something that's been noted in our society, again, in the United States, for actually several decades. And we are just now seeing a lot of this information come out in the popular literature about maybe women need more confidence or women don't take as many risks or um, women as bosses are perceived you know, differently than men and um, all those different adjectives that can go along with that. And so we deal with it in all areas uh, of our life here. And in looking at leadership within veterinary medicine, um, we've still got a ways to go. But I think with, with women veterinarians in particular becoming much more aware of these perceptions and biases, I think it helps us grow. Great, great. Um, I just want to do a quick check-in. I know that we have a couple of viewers watching live. If you have a question for Dr. Pritt, please don't uh, hesitate to drop that on the event page um, in the Say Something box, and I will certainly pass those questions on to her. Um, but in the meantime, I certainly have uh, more questions for her. Um, so what kinds of things would you recommend um, women who aspire to leadership positions um, within organized veterinary medicine, um, what can they do to position themselves um, to kind of step into those roles? So the traditional answer has been you start with your um, local VMA, you move up to your state VMA and your national, you know, AVMA. Um, I didn't take that route. I actually went through an allied organization and um, actually my, my route to leadership was kind of all over the place. I, I started with a couple committees. Um, I became aware of other positions, served in the House of Delegates, and I'm now the only candidate for AVMA vice president. So I didn't do it by the traditional route. I didn't work up through a series of, of steps that a lot of people think um, happens within veterinary associations. It, it does, um, but I think that's a very, um, standard answer to give, and I think it's quickly going to become outdated because a lot of associations, the AVMA, for example, is coming up with a lot of different leadership development opportunities and a lot of leadership service opportunities to fit our very busy lifestyles. So that's a very practical way, you know, serving on committees and councils and getting to understand the nature of, of being a leader within a nonprofit association. But from a skill set perspective, you, you do need to build skill sets. Uh, communication, um, understanding those leadership or understanding those biases and perceptions of uh, men and women in leadership, understanding how to network, understanding how to promote yourself, confidence building, all of those. There's, there's several good books out there. Um, the WVLDI website under um, its resources tag has a listing of, of several good books. There are um, a lot of professional development sessions out there at conferences across the United States, AVMA, Western Veterinary Conference, North American Veterinary Conference, um, Southwest Veterinary Symposium is looking at hosting a few sessions and, and state meetings, um, again, across the United States. And then I've, I've kind of already mentioned that, but networking, getting to know people in leadership positions um, so they can serve as mentors or sponsors um, and helping you, and you can start building the understanding of yourself and what you would like to do, how you would like to serve. Um, it's kind of a lot of things, um, but that would be, that's the advice I generally give people. 
Right. So do you think, you know, there's certainly been a lot written um, about millennials and how they differ um, in their approach to kind of leadership. And, and we you just kind of mentioned there's kind of these traditional pieces um, in organized veterinary medicine to kind of get you to that, that next rung. Right. Um, but millennials tend to not quite do, um, you know, follow those paths. They tend to kind of jump around a little bit, not in a negative way, but they take more smell the roses paths, if you will. Um, So how do you think that those kinds of things, um, you know, the advice that you've given about all of the networking certainly applies to them, but um, how do we also be mindful about advancing young leaders? How do we kind of groom them and develop them, not only from um, their intrinsic interests, but how do we also kind of pluck them (laughs) and get and ready them? So from a veterinary specific um, standpoint, a lot of the state uh, veterinary medical associations, as well as the AVMA, now have very specific programs for early career veterinarians um, from zero to 15 years or zero to 10 years, depending on which association you're talking about, that will help develop leadership skills. So I know there's a very popular program, again, at the state VMA level called the Power of 10. Um, Other state VMAs have other programs. Um, The AVMA has a one-year-long future leaders program, as well as a shorter time commitment program called the Emerging Leaders, which happens uh, in January in conjunction with the AVMA Veterinary Leadership Conference. I think, and I see it because I do employ um, several millennials, they're not veterinarians, but they're um, in the biomedical science field. They wanna contribute very soon in their career they sometimes, as you, I like that smell the roses approach, so shorter term commitments, um, instead of looking at a four or a six year position, what about a one year task force where I can make an immediate contribution, see how my contribution has impacted the association, the profession, et cetera, and then I can determine where I want to contribute next. I do think in our economy, and especially when we talk about new jobs for graduates and such, and talking about geographic differences in job availability, I think we're going to see a more mobile generation of veterinarians than we have before. And that does make that traditional route of being in a local VMA or state VMA and moving up that way, it's going to make it a a little bit more difficult. So I do think we need to um, look beyond that into shorter timeframes. The other thing with millennials is they don't join associations generally for the same reasons that other generations did. And so these associations have to look at what value they're providing um, the millennial members versus um, join us and, um, you know, contribute to your profession that way. They want to get something back. Sure. Um, the Association of uh, American Veterinary Medical Colleges also has a leadership program um, for um, folks in academic veterinary medicine. We have had the program now for about four years, I believe, and uh, I think that our most recent class just finished up at our annual conference just last week or so. So we, I think we have now about 103 graduates from that program, and I, I just recently did an analysis of um, the attendees um, who are selected, they both kind of volunteer through um, their um, 
administrative offices, their, um, their deans, um, identify them, either they volunteer or um, are dean selected. And we did still find that overwhelmingly, um, the individuals that participate in that program are men, um, probably about still about 60% um, men. Um, and we have seen a number of those individuals who've completed the program step into deanships during the course of the four years. So, um, you know, we're, we're excited about the program, but um, this analysis kind of made us sit back and think, well, um, you know, how do we try to, do we try to do something about trying to achieve gender parity um, in terms of participation of that program? Um, and, um, and if so, what does that look like and what does it mean? So in talking about um, gender parity, I'm kind of interested in, in knowing um, your thoughts about um, what does promoting women in leadership have to do with male veterinarians? Um, so what is the role of men um, in advancing women in leadership? So we've had men, have men serving on the WVLDI board of directors. So it's very important to them. In looking at um, men in veterinary medicine, there's, there's a few different things that need to be um, thought of. Uh, men have, well, at least for the last 20 years, they've attended school with a lot of female veterinarians. Um, they are going to be looking at employing female veterinarians, working for female veterinarians, potentially selling their practices or um, bringing them on as partners. They could have daughters that want to become veterinarians. Um, the list goes on and on. When men become vested in understanding how women go into leadership, which may not be the same route as men, shown by my anecdotal research as well as re real research, um, they can learn how to mentor them, sponsor them, um, make them better. Women in turn can do the same with men understanding those perceptions and biases, and we can all make the profession stronger. Great. Um, so that's really important. And, and yes, uh, Vivaldi does have men on its board. So it's really important. Um, so a lot of it has been written about women and leadership very broadly. Um, and certainly um, there have been other women's veterinary organizations um, in the history of the profession. Um, what was the impetus to create the Women's Veterinary Leadership Development Initiative? So we had a, a few um, ideas when we got together and decided to form the group. Originally, it was more around networking, utilizing social media as a platform. And in the last three years uh, since WVLDI formed unofficially, which would have been July 2013, we have seen social media just really take off as a platform for veterinarians to really connect and discuss, mentor, sponsor, you name it. So we started off as networking, developed into more of an initiative. So what did that mean? We were not going to be a membership association, which that sets us apart from previous associations within uh, veterinary medicine. An initiative, initiative around sponsorship, mentorship, around educating, around getting crucial conversations started. You know, women are the majority in the profession. How does that affect the workplace? How does that affect their home life? That's going to be different than men, it, it, it will be. Um, 
Now we're looking, we're talking about what does it mean for women who take time off to raise a family and then re-enter the workforce? What does it mean for a woman who wants to be a practice owner, but has only seen men as practice owners with stay-at-home spouses? How can they be assured that they can juggle family and life and uh, their career? All of those questions, starting those conversations and really talking about those perceptions and biases and really having all veterinarians understand um, what the rest of society is, is talking about and how we can make veterinary medicine stronger because of that. We are looking to get more content on our website to do um, webinars about some skill set building, public speaking, that type of thing. Um, you know, giving that support where there wasn't support before. Okay. So um, what kind of programming um, does the group offer? So we have a lot of programming and we have a few different um, ways that we go about it. We have networking events. Um, we've held them at AVMA convention, um, AVMA leadership, veterinary leadership conference and North American veterinary conference. We're looking at some new venues uh, for later this year. These are great events. We have over hundred people come. We provide um, some appetizers, depending if we do breakfast or, or dinner. And we bring in established leaders, whether they be VMA, North American Veterinary Conference, or state VMAs, set them down at tables with any veterinarian who wants to attend. We get people talking. We ask crucial questions, such as what can we do to promote more female leaders? What can we, what can we do to promote more young leaders? What can we do to promote more interest in you know, practice ownership? These types of crucial, crucial um, questions. People get up, they talk about their thoughts, they talk about the thoughts they've had at the table. It's a judgment-free zone. People, people feel free to discuss these. And then the leaders in our profession are there listening. Um, I think that's wonderful. I have not yet seen that at another venue like that, really getting that one-on-one -on -one close communication, yet within a large group that's very comfortable to speak their mind. I think that's, that's great for our uh, veterinary association leaders uh, to learn about what we're thinking and what we're encountering. As far as programming at conventions, we really use audience response systems or polling. And some of our favorite topics that are the most well attended have to do around different kinds of models of practice ownership. Uh, Work-life balance, although that's kind of becoming an outdated term, more like work-life choice or um, again different thoughts about how to blend work and life family life your career uh, career transitions i myself transitioned out of private practice there's a few other board members that have done the same so we talk about some some tips and just overall concepts about transitioning from a clinical to a non-clinical career path um, other popular topics have been about finding your own confidence. Those are some of our more, um, more well-attended topics. I, we do have some sessions on just about those different perception, perceptions and biases um, that men, men and women face in leadership as well. And uh, those, that's what we're looking at now. Again, we're talking about doing webinars and um, getting more content, white papers, book reviews that type of thing up on the website. Great. 
So I know that there are a few student chapters um, of Wivaldi, but um, you mentioned that this isn't really a membership organization. So um, so how have the student chapters kind of come about? Um, and if it isn't a membership organization, um, how can people become involved in, um, in the work of Wivaldi? So the student chapters came about organically very soon after we founded um, ourselves in the fall of 2013. We have several chapters that are, are very strong. And I've seen male and female students be very active in, in these student chapters. I know several male veterinary students that are very interested in this topic because they now realize that they are in a profession that is majority female. And that means a lot to them for a variety of the reasons I, I already previously mentioned. We have a student director now who is a member of our board of directors, a voting member. The first one that we selected um, January of this year, her name's Caitlin McDaniel out of University of Missouri. We also maintain a SAFMA liaison uh, that is voted on by a committee within SAFMA. Our first one was Jessica Simpson. She's gonna be replaced by another liaison in just a few days at the Student AVMA Symposium. So they serve as our main conduits to the students. And many of us on the WVLDI board of directors go to the student chapters and ho hold all sorts of events, networking events, lectures, um, all sorts of things. Great. So they are members of their own student chapters. They, they do all of that themselves. We have some template documents that the students can follow, um, but that's really self-driven amongst themselves. We are in the midst of forming um, a, trying to think of the right word, a path for people to be involved with the WVLDI. Um, we have a task force working on that. We expect to publish a survey here soon to see how people want to be involved and we've um, and how we would communicate with them and make them aware of opportunities. We do have a few people who volunteer to help us with our social media and our website. That's the, um, those two groups of the social DVM which is Caitlin Dr. Caitlin DeWild, as well as Beyond Indigo. We have a few other volunteers um, that also provide content here and there or help us at conventions and our networking events. They'll say, serve as maybe table leaders and, and that type of thing. Um, so we're very excited about that possibility and, and the potential. Great. So um, what can folks do to kind of create a culture that supports women leaders? Um, certainly my work um, is specifically working with the colleges, though I do um, a fair bit with uh, larger, the kind of larger pool of organized veterinary medicine. Um, but what advice would you give um, to existing leaders on kind of how do they create that culture that really supports and nurtures women into leadership positions? Well, we all have our own perceptions and biases. And I do think veterinary leaders, um, veterinarians in general, should invest in a little bit of development of, I guess, their own emotional intelligence and be aware of their own perceptions and biases. And then be open to differences and understand that there will be differences in um, a, a field um, that is now majority female, but still has, in many instances, majority male leaders. So that's one way. And when you start down that path, you start learning that women do seek 
and fulfill their leadership positions differently. And again, be aware of that. And then women will, I, I kind of already mentioned this, but women will pursue leadership positions in general a little bit differently than men. That means that mentorship and sponsorship becomes very important. We've talked about that a lot in veterinary medicine, mentorship in particular. Sponsorship is a little bit different. Sponsorship is where you're more promoting other um, people for the position or, you know, you, Dr. Smith, you would be great for this. You should consider this. And many times that Dr. Smith may not be aware that they would even, even have been qualified for that position. And I think veterinary leaders can have a profound impact by encouraging women into those positions through sponsorship. And uh, WVLDI does that, although we've helped male veterinarians as well achieve leadership positions. But um, we, we will provide one-on-one -on -one help sometimes, even down to reviewing a resume and a personal statement for a particular leadership position within a veterinary association. And so I think that's very important. I have been asked by some association executives in particular about what they can do to help encourage women into leadership positions. There are some veterinary association executives out there that have realized that it is difficult uh, for women to move into those roles, either because of the way that they're selecting for those positions or the time demands with those positions or the way that those leadership positions um, carry out. Are you doing a lot of travel with these positions? Can it be done more by teleconference? Are you looking at positions more by self-selection? Do you have active leadership development or are you actively sponsoring people to go into roles? There's a lot of factors with that, much more than what I would be able to say within this time frame. but I think it, it's just an awareness of, of those differences and an awareness of what has been successful for other associations and for other professions um, in bringing women into leadership roles. I currently work for a medical school and here it's all about mentorship and sponsorship. And I, I think that's very important. Okay, great. Um, so uh, where do you uh, expect to see Wivaldi um, in the next year? What do you expect to, to the group to do? So we are going to capitalize on our very popular networking events. We're going to be doing networking events in new uh, conferences and new arenas. I think that's going to be great. We are continuing to use our audience response systems and doing and do polling with our sessions. That's great. We are looking at exploring different topics uh, specific to women, such as um, Again, one of the topic I mentioned previously about perhaps taking time off from veterinary medicine for a period of time to deal with family or other issues and then to come back into the workforce and uh, other specific topics such as pregnancy. So we're going to see a great variety of topics covered by our board members and other associated speakers during the year. We are going to have a stronger student presence now that we have our student director on board. Again, more content on our website, potentially some webinars and really focusing on some skill set building. And again, this is open to male and female veterinarians. We're just looking at some of the topics 
that are a little bit more specific for, for women. Great. Um, so most recently, uh, Dr. Rachel Cesar from USDA and I presented at uh, the AAVMC annual conference and we, um, our presentation focused on um, women and um, people of color ascending to leadership positions um, in academic veterinary medicine. And certainly um, some of those same <clears throat> Um, biases um, and perceptions barriers exist for women as they do for um, individuals of color as well. Um, and uh, it was a really great session. We also used um, attendance feedback. So I'm hoping that at some point we'll um, present a bit of that data. It was rather enlightening um, because of course, leaders do attend the AAVMC annual conference meeting. So um, it was a great opportunity for us to see what academic leaders thought about women in leadership and, and certainly um, minorities in leadership as well. So uh, what other advice would you give um, for uh, women veterinarians um, and male veterinarians and anybody else who might be interested um, in leadership in general? There's a few different things. There are, I would say, take advantage of leadership development programs that you become aware of. And I know the AVMA's leadership program is highly competitive, but if you don't get in your first year, continue to apply. Those are not only great programs to, again, develop skill sets, but they're wonderful for networking. Look around at different associations. Don't assume that you have to work up through a local versus a state VMA. There might be other opportunities to contribute to the profession. So definitely don't discount any of those opportunities. Networking, making sure that you have a great digital presence such as LinkedIn, even, even Facebook. Don't be afraid to, to ask folks how they can, how you can contribute and how you can build your skills. Um, get important feedback. Have somebody look over your resume or your personal statement. Those are all um, great tools. Read. There's a lot of good books out there. There's a lot, there's a lot of bad books too. <laughs> but there's a, there's a lot of good books. Some of the more contemporary topics around situational leadership, um, adaptive leadership, uh, again, the Through the Labyrinth, uh, again, it's from 2007, data is a, getting a little bit dated, but it's an excellent book about uh, perceptions and biases. There are several excellent books about women in leadership. Again, we have a reading list on the WBLDI website, WBLDI.org that lists several of those resources. So reading, uh, reading is an excellent way to, um, to it, just to develop initial understanding of um, your current leadership skills. The other important topic to really read up on in developing leadership skills is emotional intelligence. I am just now starting to see some uh, workshops, some sessions about emotional intelligence at veterinary related meetings. I think that's going to be an up and coming topic, although it's been out in the business leadership um, and business management literature for several years, but emotional intelligence is about knowing yourself, knowing your strengths, knowing what makes you happy, knowing how others perceive you, understanding the emotions in others, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot to that. They do show that leaders do have higher emotional intelligence levels. They also, I also view it as 
if you're if you're not happy in your current career path, you really do need to understand yourself and what could potentially make you happy before you go on into a career transition. That's a very sim simple statement, and it's a lot more complicated than that. But emotional intelligence is, is very important in, in understanding yourself. And I do know that some veterinary schools are using some elements of gauging emotional intelligence even in their veterinary school interviews. So I do think that that's something that um, we in the veterinary profession are going to be talking about a lot more in the next few years. Great. Um, so with that, I think that we will um, bring this episode to a close. As always, I will include show notes um, in the updated version, which will include links to um, the Women in Veterinary, Women in Veterinary Leadership, ah, Women Veterinary Leadership <laughs> Development initiative. It's a bit of a mouthful as most veterinary acronyms are. Um, I will provide some links to that organizational website as well as some of the additional resources um, around um, reading lists as well as emotional intelligence um, in the updated um, podcast video. But um, do you have any parting words for our viewers? Well, we're um, at a lot of meetings. Our, I'll be at the Student AVMA uh, Symposium here in the next few days. We are going to be at the AVMA Convention, the Veterinary Hospital Managers Association, um, probably Southwest Veterinary Symposium, and other meetings on into next year. So anybody interested in, in talking to us, you can come up to us at any of those meetings. We do have a website, a website an email address that you can contact us at on our uh, website and feel free to send us an email and we dialogue with folks all the time interested in what we're doing. So. Great, and we will provide uh, some of that information again on the show notes. And with that, I look forward um, to the next episode next month. Uh, we'll be putting out, uh, AAVMC will be putting out um, a new calendar for uh, the next few podcasts very soon. So stay tuned. Um, but for tonight, thank you very much. Thank you very, very much, Dr. Pritt, for joining me tonight um, on Diversity on and Inclusion on Air. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.